Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to the Christian Life Center online. We're so glad that you're joining us today. Glad to have you be a part of this. And uh, this weekend is Palm Sunday, so yay, Palm Sunday. Uh, It's probably, if you're anything like me, it's probably the most different Palm Sunday that you've ever actually been a part of um, because of the coronavirus and kind of everything where our our nation is at right now. But um, we're so glad that you're with us. For those of you that maybe I haven't had the privilege of meeting, my name is Ben Dieterle, and I'm the outreach pastor here at the Christian Life Center. And uh, man, I I do want to say before we start that we miss you. Like it's it's still weird and unique to actually be preaching to an empty room, Um, but we're praying that you actually get something out of this, that God moves in a mighty way while in your homes and in in your, you know, on your laptops or on your phone or whatever device you're watching this from, our prayer is that God would move because this building is not the church. You, the people, the movement are the church. So I believe that God has something incredible in, st- uh, in store for us um, and, and so glad that you're here with us. It was about three weeks ago, I think it was three or maybe this is actually the fourth week, um, that the first service that we did purely online was. And I remember thinking back then when we first were talking through kind of all the closures and the cancellation, at least for me, what I thought was that after three weeks, we'll probably be back to normal. And here we are kind of gearing up for the entire month of April Uh, to kind of be closed and to be shut down and just kind of trying to follow the guidelines that the federal government, our state and local government is doing and and just trying to be prudent and wise to help hopefully slow and even eventually stop the spread of the COVID-19 virus. So we're glad that you're joining us today. Uh, Sorry that you don't get any palm branches that you can wave and make little crosses out of and kind of bug the person that's sitting in front of you this week. But we're glad that you're here with us to celebrate as Jesus made his way into Jerusalem and the triumphal entry is what it's called. And as, as the people were declaring how good God was and, and all of that scene, but, but we are excited for the day that we can celebrate again back together. I do want to give a quick update on uh, COVID-19 and where we're at within the church. As you may have just heard, we are kind of canceling all events. We are canceling all services. I should say we're canceling services that are in-house services. All of our services are offered online. So we encourage you to kind of be a part of that. So at this point, what we said was that we were going to give updates probably every Tuesday and Friday. Well, at this point, there's really not much to update. So we are just going to kind of slow down our process and that and say, hey, that we think that for the next four weeks through the end of April, we are canceling events. We won't have services in a traditional manner. We'll be doing all services online. So we will update you with any information, if any of that changes, we will update you as soon as possible. So stay tuned for that. The best ways that you can do that is through our app, through our website, and then also through our social media program, our social media pages like Facebook and Instagram. Um, yeah, and, and then the other side of that that I would just like to say really quick before we kind of jump into the, to the topic as we talk about Palm Sunday and we talk about uh, specifically John 13, chapter 13, this incredible illustration and story and example that Christ models for his disciples and for us. Before we jump into that, we just want to say, if there's anything that you need as our congregation, please let us know. Let me, let me even take that a step further, not even just as our conversation. If you're tuning into this and you have a need of something, please, 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 please reach out to us and let us know. The easiest ways for us for that to happen are are kind of the four general ways, three of them I just mentioned. If you can go to our website and and let us know, you can email us through that, info at clcfamily.church. You can let us know through our Facebook Messenger apps. There's several staff members that are on there that they'll be able to respond, maybe not immediately, but they'll respond as soon as they can. And then also uh, through our website, like kind of already said that you can email website social media and then also through our app our app is a little bit different we can communicate with you uh through there it'll bring you links so that you can email us so it's not really a a source that you can do that but then the other thing is that you can call the office if you have any questions you have any needs please by all means let us know by calling the office somebody is there that they will be able to answer your call or if they can't get to your call we'll get to you as soon as we can so if you know somebody that doesn't have access to the internet or they just don't prefer to use the internet, they can still call the office 610-869-2140. But please, please, please let us know if there's anything that you can do or or we can do. And and kind of along those lines, what we are trying to do as a staff is that we're trying to reach out to every single person that 
that's in the congregation. So if you haven't already, probably within the next few days, or there's a good amount of you, so maybe I'll even say through the next week or so, people will be reaching out to you. Staff members are just kind of calling to check in, see if there's anything that you need, if there's anything that we can do. And then also, if you would be interested in kind of setting up a Zoom conversation, either one-on-one with a staff member or in a group setting, what we're trying to do is even use uh, Zoom as a way of being able to connect one to another. So uh, there is a sign-up link on our website. If you would like to sign up for that, you can go to clcfamily.church slash signups, and you'll see a link. I think it's on the top right section of the website. So you can sign up there if you're interested in getting connected. If you haven't gotten a call, or maybe if you're not, uh, if we don't have access to your number, we're going off the most recent directory that we have, but maybe you couldn't get into the directory. Please let us know through that sign-up page. We would love to be able to contact with you, uh, be in contact with you, and, and get in touch with you any way that we can, or somebody that is is in the area that would like that communication as well, please let us know with that. So sign up on our webpage for that. Uh, after three or four weeks of this, man, we miss seeing everybody's, everybody's face. We've been trying to do some things on Facebook, like uh, Faces Friday, where we're trying to just kind of see you guys. We did think that it might be a little bit fun to share this hashtag. Like, if you want to share with us your experience of how you're attending church while online, you could use the hashtag, hashtag CLC anywhere, and just kind of mark that on your posts, and we'd love to be able to see that and just a way for our church community to actually experience some of that community because, man, we miss you. And I'll even say after about three or four weeks, whatever it's been, we're even starting to miss the people that were slightly annoying, but that maybe I shouldn't say that, but we're missing everybody at this point. So uh, we'd love to connect with you on that. And um, I truly believe, like I already mentioned, that I believe that in this time and in this season that God has something great in store for his church. Like, I think that in moments like this, in seasons like this, where there's confusion, there's fear, there's unrest, maybe is, is a good word for it. I truly believe that God is in the middle doing something for his good and for his glory. Like, I think that this COVID-19 situation, that God truly is in the midst of it, and he wants to use it somehow to bring his, bring him glory. And, and I, I said this the very first week, I had the opportunity to, to kind of speak the first week that we had to cancel our in-person services and do it online. And, and I truly believe that church is not canceled, even if your traditional worship, worship service is. It may look different, it might feel a little bit different, but you are the church, and God has got something great in store and planned for you. And so today, as we kind of continue through our series that we've been on, we're talking about the hope of Easter. And really, that title means a lot to us right now, because right now, that's kind of what we want to operate in, is this hope that we'll be able to get through this season, and we'll be able to see what's next, and and kind of continue on with what God has for us. And so that word hope there brings a lot of different emotions with it, right? Like, hope is something that if you have hope, even in the midst of the darkest situation, in the deepest despair, you know that one day things will be all right, or at least that's what that hope and that expectation is. And when we begin to talk about Easter, as we look at Holy Week this week, as we begin to kind of unpack, uh, you know, what that means, there is a hope that comes with Easter, not only for the, the original disciples and for the original followers of Jesus, but once Jesus was resurrected, we find life. We find a greater sense of hope because of what Christ has done on the cross and on Calvary. And so today, as we're kind of finishing that up, what we, what we have to understand is that when Christ was crucified, when he was killed and then risen again, he defeated sin and death and the grave. And because of that, we now can experience a hope that is unlike any other. And so I'm excited to be able to share with you today. Jesus didn't just establish some earthly kingdom, which is what a lot of his followers thought that he would do, is establish his kingdom here on this world. And in fact, a lot of people that were crying out Hosanna on that first day that he made his way into Jerusalem were the same crowd that was crying crucify him, not only about five days later. But we believe that there is a hope that is in this. And Jesus didn't just establish, he didn't establish some earthly kingdom. He established a heavenly kingdom, one that could never be defeated, one that could never be overthrown. And we have the opportunity to join him in advancing his kingdom in that. 
And so what we want to do is, as part of our normal cadence, what we're trying to do in this season, in this time, is to also let your kids watch a video that they would normally get the opportunity to while in Kid Zone. And so we recognize that there's a challenge in that. We don't fully anticipate kids are going to be able to sit through this entire worship service. We hope that you can do that as a family, but we recognize that that might be challenging. So in just a moment... We're going to go ahead and show you that video. So if you want to go ahead and gather them now, you might even be able to pause this, depending on if you're live streaming this or if you're watching this afterwards, you might be able to pause this and then be able to kind of gather everybody and come back to it. So I want to encourage you to do that now, as well as we are going to try and partake of communion together today, which is a little bit interesting because it's an invitation for you to be part of that at home and be able to partake of that. I'll walk us through the steps of that, but you were invited to do that. Maybe you saw our communication that said that we're going to try and do that and you're prepared for it. Or maybe now if you pause it or if you've got a few moments, you can grab something in your kitchen, grab some juice, grab some bread. Um, Really, you can grab anything. But what I would challenge you to do is to look at this as a sacred moment, not just something that's fun and funny while there is this nuance and something new to it. I would encourage you to, to look at this as something that we are actually remembering what Christ did on the cross. So we're going to do that in just a little bit, kind of as we finish that up. So uh, if you want to gather that stuff now, if you want to gather the kids, we're going to kind of take a quick pause and we will be back to be able to share with you um, the rest of this message. So check out this clip. Jesus' disciples went into the city to prepare the Passover meal. When the meal was ready, Jesus and his disciples reclined at the table. Jesus knew his time on earth was almost over, and he would soon return to the Father in heaven. Jesus got up from the table, laid aside his outer robe, and wrapped a towel around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began washing his disciples' feet. In Bible times, a servant would wash someone's feet when he entered a house. Jesus, the King of Kings, was doing what a servant would do. Peter did not want Jesus to wash his feet. He will never wash my feet, ever, Peter said. Jesus replied, If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Peter said, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus told Peter, the one who is bathed only needs to wash his feet because he is already clean. Jesus wasn't talking about physical cleanliness. He was talking about someone who has been forgiven of his sins by repenting and trusting in Jesus. A Christian should repent when he sins, but he only needs to receive salvation once. When Jesus had washed his disciples' feet and put on his robe, he reclined at the table and said, Do you understand what I have done? You call me teacher and Lord. I have given you an example to follow. You should wash one another's feet. Jesus was telling the disciples to serve one another. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples. Jesus said, Take it and eat it. This is my body. Then he took a cup and gave thanks. He gave it to his disciples and said, All of you drink from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. After the supper, Jesus and his disciples sang psalms and went to the Mount of Olives. At the Passover, Jesus shared his last meal with the disciples before his death and resurrection. Jesus said that his death would establish a new covenant. God's people had broken the old covenant, and God promised to make a new covenant to forgive sins. God forgives the sins of those who trust in his son, Jesus. All right, we hope that you have enjoyed that and that your kids get 
really something out of that that it communicates to them. We wish that they could be in the kid zone, but th- this is where we find ourselves trying to be prudent and wise and trying to help stop the spread of the coronavirus. So uh, I want to jump into today's message, and I- I'm pretty excited to share with you about it. This is, this is probably, for me, one of the most challenging and encouraging passages in the Bible. Um, and as we read it, it's probably a familiar story for most of us. For some of us, we, we may be hearing it for the very first time. But really, in this passage, what you see is this incredible example that God gives to his disciples. That Jesus, on the last few hours of his, his remaining here on earth, in the last few hours of his ministry, spending time with those that he loves, he gives this incredible illustration where he models or exemplifies what he is calling us to do as believers. And he kind of changes the rules a little bit, right? Like from the the Old Testament to the New Testament, there's almost this change that takes place. In the Old Testament, there was this law that you were supposed to love your neighbor as yourself, right? Like that was was even in the New Testament, it's referenced there. That's kind of the understanding. But Jesus then begins to change even the tone of that He begins to say that it's not just about loving your neighbor. He then, in the end of John 13, he challenges his disciples to love one another as Christ has loved them, which is a really tall order. And I want to kind of talk about this and and talk through this. And and so this is the night before Jesus is actually crucified. Um, This is the night where he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying to his father. Um, and, And the night before, he's with his disciples and he gives, again, this profound teaching that has a great impact on their lives. He also models that for us, what we should do as believers. And really, as I started to kind of prepare this, this message, and really, uh, within the last few weeks, the application of this message has changed, right? Before COVID-19, I had a thought in mind for where I was driving to with a very specific application and really a challenge and a calling for you to be the church and, and to serve the way that Jesus served. But then as COVID-19 kind of took over, it's really changed the application of what I want to drive to today, but I think that the message is maybe even that much more important in this season as we find ourselves. And and so the question that I want to try and answer today or or challenge you with, maybe to even get you thinking about the topic of of John chapter 13 is this, is what do you do when you are the most powerful or maybe even not powerful, that's maybe a scary word for us Christians, right? Like what do you do when you are the most important maybe the most influential or the most powerful person in the room. What do you do with that which you are entitled to? What do you do when you're the most powerful, most important, most influential person in the room? What do you do with that? And I want to kind of dive into that today. What do you do with what is rightly yours? And in the last few weeks of this series, we've had a couple different things. Christian opened up this series as we were talking about the triumphal entry. That's when Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem. And it's amazing, again, as I already alluded to, is that people go from crying Hosanna to then crying crucify him. And and there was probably a misunderstanding that everybody had in mind that Jesus would establish this. And yet that wasn't what he came to do. He did come to establish a kingdom, but it was a heavenly kingdom as we already talked about. And so Christian talked about the celebration that we can have it in our lives. And he challenged us in a lot of different ways. Last week, what we did was Gary preached through kind of Jesus cursing a fig tree and then going to the temple, the place of worship where everybody would have gathered because of Passover, this time where people would come into the city and they would offer a sacrifice there. And Jesus actually cleanses or clears out the temple. He drives out the money changers and, and it's, there's this parallel to this fig tree and what's happening in the temple. And so I don't want to take away anything from that, but two great messages. You can find that online at clcfamily.church media. You can listen to those. But today, what we're doing is as we're, we've kind of been working through that last week of Jesus's life, really, we, we kind of slow down for this week and for next week, for Palm Sunday and for Easter. We are slowing down and really looking at the last 12 hours of Jesus's life. The last 12 hours of his life and, and kind of the events that happened from his arrest into his, his crucifixion. And this is an event that's happening right before his arrest. This is kind of where it slows down. It's interesting because the book of John is actually the first like 11 or 12 chapters or so moves pretty quickly, like kind of going through weeks and months at a time. But then you get to John chapter 13 and everything slows down. It, we're not talking in weeks or months. We're talking about, about hours. And so this is where we're at. It's a, uh, a few weeks. Um, it's the week of Jesus' last 
weak here on earth. And um, really, I think as, as you think about it, that last week of Jesus' ministry must have been electric, right? Like, because I think that the disciples, after following Jesus for about three years, they can sense that something's different right? Like, this is at the height of Jesus's ministry. Like, people have heard the crazy things that he's done. They heard that weeks ago he raised a dead man, Lazarus, back to life. They've heard the stories of him changing water into wine. They've seen him maybe or heard the stories of him feeding 5,000 men, women, and children. Like, they've heard and seen of the popularity that Jesus has. And so as Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem, they, I can imagine that there's excitement and electricity in the air that they are excited for the establishment of this king who would finally free them from the Jewish oppressor or from the Roman oppressors that they had. However, I also think while there's maybe electricity in the air, I, I also wonder what it would have been like, and, and even as Christian talked about this, you see that Jesus is sad and he weeps over the city of Jerusalem on the day that he enters into Jerusalem. And I wonder what the contrast was like because Jesus could sense that his time and his hour was coming. And, and maybe there was a feeling of isolation. Maybe there was a feeling of, of loneliness in there because while the world, it looked like, was excited for what was, the reality is that they didn't understand what was about to happen. And so I want to kind of set the scene uh, for what's about to happen in John chapter 13. And in order to do that, I want to back up just a little bit, spend a little bit of time kind of setting this up, and then jump into John chapter 13, because I think if we can understand the context of why this is such a powerful example, then I think that this story comes alive to us. And that's kind of looking at the story as Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. So this is before he sends his disciples to get a donkey. This is before he shows up in Jerusalem. As he begins to make his way into Jerusalem, he begins to tell his disciples for the third time what would happen as he makes his way into Jerusalem. And this is found in Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 45. And you can read that if you have time. I'm, I'm going to just kind of talk through it right now just to save time. But you can read that through Mark 10, 32 through 45. And again, this is towards the end of Jesus' ministry that there's a height of popularity. People are excited to hear about him. They're excited to see him. They think that he's going to free them from their Roman oppressors. And Jesus begins to tell his disciples, hey, when I get to Jerusalem, the Son of Man will be handed over to the, uh, to the Pharisees to be beaten, to be mocked, to, to be crucified, to be killed. And I can imagine that the disciples are going, wait, what's going on? But as Jesus is telling this, at least in this story, he begins to tell the guys, hey, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be arrested, mocked, flogged, beaten, spit upon, crucified. But the reality is, is that they must not have been listening. Okay, so as they're telling this, it's amazing how as you read through Mark, it says, like Jesus tells them, and then the very next verse says this. It says that, James and John, and I'm paraphrasing this, and James and John kind of come to Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, so when you establish your kingdom, um, is it cool, James and John, who are brothers, they're like, can we sit at your right and your left hand? Can we be kind of your most two most important people? Like that was a seat of position and honor and authority to sit at the right and to sit at the left. And so they're going, hey, do you mind if we do that? They're kind of jockeying for position in this earthly kingdom that they think Jesus is setting up. And so Jesus has this real conversation going, dude, I, you, that's not for me to decide. Can you actually handle the cup that I'm about to bear? And they're like, yes, Jesus, we can. And he's going, well, we'll find out. We'll see. And then the rest of the disciples, the, the ten others, hear what is happening, and they're upset. They're not upset because how dare they would ask that. What they're upset about is that they would actually ask for this position of prominence because they also wanted a position of prominence within Jesus' kingdom. See, at this level, the disciples don't fully understand on some level what Jesus is actually doing. They don't understand the, the full scope or the, 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 the full idea of what Christ had come to do. Because in their minds, what it looks like is that they're still desiring to be in a place of authority. Like if they couldn't be a leader, then maybe the next best thing was to be close to the leader that would actually be the one that would be established over all the nations. 
And so they're jockeying for position. And Jesus gives them this teaching before they even make their way into Jerusalem. This is what he says in Mark uh, chapter 10. I'm going to put it on the screen behind Mark chapter 10, verses 42 through 45. This is what it says. So they're arguing. They're outraged. They don't want to be left out. They, they're entitled to anything that they, the James and John are. And this is what it says. It says, Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Verse 43, and this is what he's trying to drive at. He goes, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus' kingdom doesn't operate like any other kingdom does. And Jesus begins to tell his disciples this, not even just in this moment, but in other moments, past moments. He's beginning to tell them, or tell them once again, guys, this is what the kingdom looks like. It's not about you being first. It's actually about you being last. Because even I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And so Jesus is going, hey, you know how those rulers, they lord it over those that they rule, and they're like, yeah, 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 that's the point of leadership, right? Like, that's the point of having power. You hold it over. Jesus goes, no, 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 not with you. Don't do that. And he goes on to say, if you want to be great, if you want to be a leader, someone with authority, then watch me. Watch me. These aren't the words that he actually says in Scripture, but really... What we see in John chapter 13 is that really Jesus is going to set the ultimate example, the ultimate, uh, the ultimate model for what he's calling for his disciples to do. And so we're going to kind of jump into John chapter 13. We're going to read through this, probably about the first 17 verses. We might not get to all of them today, um, but it's an incredible story, and, and this is what it says. And it's maybe even to take a step back there. John is the author, and this is, this is the disciple. This is somebody that wrote the book of John, but he wrote it years after his experience with Jesus, walking on the earth, being one of his disciples. And so it's probably, it's assumed that John, as he's older, he's probably reflecting back on some of the experiences that he had with Jesus. And maybe when he went through them, he didn't fully understand or grasp what actually the Lord was doing, what Christ was doing. But now, in an older age, having seen the crucifixion, having seen the early church, having experienced some of the things that Jesus had taught him, he's now looking back with, with this insight and this wisdom that maybe he didn't have before. And this, this is what it says. As that's the backdrop, these, argue, uh, these people are arguing. John chapter 13, verse 1 says this. It says it was just before the Passover festival. And again, Holy Week, Christian talked about this a few weeks ago. Uh, really, Passover was this national holiday. It was basically a celebration that there was also a festival that would go with Passover. So it was this national holiday where all men were actually required or expected to go to travel to Jerusalem to present an offering before God. And in that, they would then celebrate what God had done. Passover was remembering the time where the Egyptians had the Israelites in captivity. And the death angel would actually pass over the house of any person who had the blood of a lamb that was posted outside, that was painted on the doorpost of the houses, the angel would pass over that house. And so this is really the celebration going back hundreds of years of back when the Israelites were in captivity. It celebrates their liberation and also the fact that they were saved from this death angel as long as they put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And so everybody's traveling there. The, the one commentary that I read, it said that it could be expected that in the time of Jesus, about uh, 2.5 million people could be traveling towards Jerusalem so they could partake in the ceremony and in the sacrifices that would happen at, at the temple. And so it says it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And again, as John writes this decades later, you can kind of sense the urgency to what Jesus was about to say. Everything slows down, goes from weeks and months to now we're talking about the mere hours. And there's, there's this urgency that as you read John's 13 through 17, like there's this urgency and this, this intimacy that Jesus shares with his disciples. 
And it says, Jesus knew that his time, his hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And so that makes me think, like, if you had hours to live, like 12 hours to live, what would you do with that time that you had? Would you spend that time in prayer? Would you spend that time with, with your loved ones? Would you have conversations with them? Would you, you know, want to share with you them their, your greatest, like, gardening or, like, your greatest, like, recipes? Like, probably not. You, you're going to share with them what you think is probably the most important things for them to understand. You're giving almost your final instruction. Like, these may be the last words that you share with his disciples, and I think that that leads to this intimacy and this relationship that Jesus has with his disciples. And, and so Jesus is there, and, and one commentary says this. It's the teacher's commentary. It says this. It says, as we read these chapters in John's gospel, we can have a sense. Uh, we can sense a, a similar feeling. The mood changes. The sharp tone of conflict is muted. No Pharisee intrudes here. Instead, we sense only tenderness and a strange sort of peace. Strange because Jesus' life is now measured not by months or weeks, but by hours. Jesus chose to spend the last hours of his uh, hours on earth with his own, to his own, and to you and me. Jesus explains how to practice the presence of and to know the intimate fellowship with God. The introduction to the most intimate uh, the, the introduction to the most intimate scene in any of the gospel features Judas. When he left the table, only those who loved Jesus remained. Only they would hear Jesus' words of comfort and triumph spoken in a private room, shut away from the doubting crowds and the angry enemies. So ha having loved his own, having cared for the people that God had placed in his care, he's now sharing with them some of the final thoughts that he would have. Continuing on, it says this, uh, 13 verses 2 through 3 it says the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas the son of Simon Iscariot to betray Jesus Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God this is I think one of the most important verses of this chapter like this one right here sets the tone for everything Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knew. So that begs kind of the question. So Jesus fully knowing who he is and fully aware of what he is capable of doing and that all things were subject to him. So knowing that, what does he actually do with that? It's interesting because if I had this authority and I had this power, I don't think that I would do what Jesus does. I would not do that. Like, if you think through this, recognizing that Jesus had all authority, God entitled him to have that authority, what do you think you would have done knowing that there was a group of men just right down the street that were actually plotting your murder? What would you do? Like, what would you do if you knew that one of your best friends who you had spent years with was about to betray you to that group of men? Like, just put yourself in, in his shoes for a moment. What would you do if you had understood that all things were under your power? You know the hearts of all men. You can heal the blind, you can calm the wind, and you can raise the dead with a word. So what would you do if you were the most important or the most powerful person in the room? This is what he does with all of his power, with all of his influence, with all of his importance, with all of his entitlement, this is what it says he does. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying with them with the towel that was wrapped around him. See, this is what's so amazing is that we don't understand foot washing the way that they would have in that culture, right? Like, we don't go home and, you know, as soon as we get home, our wife or our kids or our servant or whoever, our dog, is there to go, hey, let me wash your feet. Like, that would be weird. It would tickle, and you don't want people touching your feet, right? Like, that's just weird, nasty. Let's just not go there. Like, but the importance of foot washing in Bible times was so very important, he knows that he has all authority. He has all power, that all things are under him. And what does he do? He literally takes off his outer garments. It was the very symbol of his leadership. Because if he was a rabbi, and if he dressed in the, the attire of a rabbi, this clothing, this outer garment, would actually be the symbol of that 
of him being a teacher, him being somebody of importance and prominence, him being a person that actually had a title and was a somebody. He literally sets aside the symbol of his importance to take on the clothing of of a lowly slave. Of a lowly slave. The life application, uh, concise New Testament commentary says this. It says, Jesus was the model servant He had showed his servant attitude to his disciples. Foot washing was a common act in Bible times. People traveled mostly on foot and sandals across the dusty roads of Judea. When entering a home, it was customary to wash one's feet. To not offer to wash a guest's feet was considered a breach of hospitality. Washing guests' feet was a job for a household servant to carry out when guests arrived. It was a subservient task that was unusual. Uh, What is unusual about this act was that Jesus, the master and teacher, was doing for his disciples as the lowest slave would have done. One of the other commentaries that I read said that foot washing was such a lowly task that even if there was another Jewish slave, if one Jew had a Jewish slave, they could not force that Jewish slave to wash somebody's feet because it was so lowly, it was so beneath them. So a Jew would not wash another Jew's feet even if that person found himself in service to this other one. It was such a lowly, despised task that no one would want to do that. That that was a, a task reserved for those that were slaves that were not of Jewish descent. And here what Jesus is doing is he is beginning to make his, his final appeal just 12 hours before his death to his disciples who still apparently don't quite get why Jesus has come. They don't get that that. While they were looking for a title, Jesus was challenging them to not be the person that looks for the title, but to be the person that would actually look for the towel. To be the one that would lay aside his, his rights and his, his entitled things that he has, and he would actually be the one that picks up the towel and says, I would be willing to serve in an area that nobody else would. His disciples were still thinking about the things of man and looking for that title and position of power and influence. And it, was about, and it was about lovingly serving others. It wasn't about that power and authority. It was about lovingly serving others. And, and what we see is, or what we know, I should say, is that as we look into the Bible, there's multiple times where the disciples actually were arguing. There's at least two other references that talk about the disciples arguing who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus either hears them or he brings up a child as an example. Uh, and and the, this was a common argument that the disciples were trying to figure out who would be the greatest. And they clearly didn't quite get what Jesus was doing. They were jockeying for positions of power and authority when Jesus was modeling, no, 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 it's not about the authority. It's not about the title. It's about the towel and the the idea and the willingness to be able to serve those that don't have the same privilege and the same things that you do. Jesus was teaching it was not about you. Even after teaching on the road in Jerusalem that Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve. Even after saying, if you want to be first, then you need to be last. Even after these teachings and the, these discussions that you shouldn't lord the, the power that you have over others, the disciples still didn't quite get it. And so Jesus doesn't just teach, he models. He models what he wants them to do. And continuing on, it says this, as he's modeling, verse 6 and 7. It says, He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. And so as Jesus comes to Peter, Peter kind of speaks out what probably everybody's thinking. Like, Jesus, are you kidding me? You, of all people, you are going to wash my feet? Lord, I've seen what you've done with your hands. I've seen you heal the sick. I've seen you make water into wine. I've seen you calm the storm with just your words. Like, I've seen what you've done with your hands. There was this one weird time where you, like, spit in the mud. You made these little mud pies, put them in some dude's eye, and he was healed. That was kind of gross, but it was also pretty awesome. Peter has seen what Jesus has done with his hands. And so he, he asks, Lord, are you going to actually wash my feet? Jesus just simply explains, you don't understand what I'm going to, but you will understand. 
I wonder even if this, these things were hidden from the disciples because it, it seems like as we read through this, it seems pretty clear that Jesus on the way to Jerusalem tells them he's going to be handed over to the Pharisees, that he's going to be beaten and tortured and killed. And yet when it happens, the disciples are so confused. I, I don't know if this was hidden from them or I think just what happens, at least what I experience in my life is that what I think Jesus is going to do in my life looks so different than what usually actually happens. And so Jesus was teaching here that it's not about you. Jesus was the Lord of the universe. He created all things. He was there with the Father when the world was created, when life was spoken into existence. Jesus was there. If anyone didn't have to humble himself to wash the feet of fishermen and farmers, then it would be Jesus, the one who is above all things, who all authority had been given to him. Yet he chooses to humble himself, to remove his, his sig- symbol of, of status and title and chooses to serve in a way that was the lowest of low. Continuing on with this, we're going to jump to verses 12 and 13. It says, When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. He said, Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. So here, Jesus, even as he begins to talk about this with his disciples, he's saying, You call me Lord and teacher, and rightly so, because I am the Lord. I am the teacher. All authority has been given to me. So if there's somebody that actually should deserve that title of respect and authority, it's Jesus. That is who you call me. He has the authority over all of the natural and the supernatural. He says, That is what you call me. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is who I am. Continuing on, it says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Again, Jesus laid aside his title, and instead of reaching for that title, he laid aside his title and he reached for a towel. Instead of choosing instead to, to reach for his, his title, his prominence, and say, hey, you know what, I wouldn't do this. As this group of men, these disciples are traveling, they're probably renting out this room or, or using this room, and, and there are a bunch of Jewish guys that are in this room, so probably all of them are thinking, well, I'm not going to get on the ground. I'm not going to be the one that actually washes feet because I'm a Jew. I don't, I don't deserve to do that. That's beneath me. Before the meal even starts, Jesus chooses to take on the very nature of a slave. He chooses to take on the very nature of the lowest person in the room. My assumption is is that because the rest of the men in the room, no, I would never do that. (laughs) That's beneath me. But Jesus chooses to model for his disciples what a true believer, a true follower of Jesus Christ should do. This is what Christ has done for us. Then really we have no excuse. We must do the same the most powerful and influential person in the room, went to the low place for the sake of everyone else in the room. It was for the sake of everyone else in the room. Continuing on kind of through the end of this, this is what it says. It says, Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And really, this is kind of what the challenge. So what do you do when you're the most powerful, the most influential, the most important person in a room? Really, what we are called to do as believers is to leverage our very power, our very influence, our very uh, importance, whatever it is that we have, our entitlement, what we are rightly entitled to, we are to leverage that for the sake of others in the room. Because that's what Christ did. That's what he modeled. That's what maybe the disciples didn't understand as they were jockeying for position in this new kingdom that they wanted to sit in places of prominence and authority. Jesus is going, no, 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 no. If you want to be great, then be last. If you want to be great, then serve. Let me show you this example. Leverage what you have for the sake of those who don't have what you have. And he says this, I love this part. He says, blessed will you be if you do what Christ has done. He, he do, doesn't say, well, blessed are you if you hear what Christ has done. Blessed are you if you consider doing what Christ has done. Blessed will you be if you do what Christ has done. 
even in the midst of fear, even in the midst of concern, even in the midst of uncertainty, if you do what Christ has done, I promise that you'll never be disappointed in that. If you follow the model and the example that Jesus set, then you'll never be disappointed in that. So again, how do you leverage your power and your influence? What do you do when you're the most powerful and important person in the room? Do you choose the title or do you choose the towel? See, the reality is, is that I think that all of us on some level are leaders in this world, right? Like, men, you are called to be the leader of your home. So how is it that you serve your wife and your children? Women, how do you serve your children and your husband? How do you be a, a model of what Christ has done? If you're an employee that has employees, how do you serve those that you are actually employing? Yes, you're in the position of authority, rightly so, that you should be called boss or whatever, but how is it that you are actually serving those employees? And that, that goes to every single level, to students, to children. Like, there are so many younger children that are behind us. Students, the, the reality is that young kids look up to older kids, and older kids look up to a little bit older, and older to older. Like, there's this cycle that happens, and the reality is, is that we have a responsibility in that to serve and to model Christ to those behind us. So how do you do that? How do you leverage your power and your influence? If you're an older brother, an older sister, how do you model the fact that you want to be a servant of all. To serve is to lead is what I put in my notes. And all of us have a circle of influence and our leaders in different areas. So how do you leverage your God-given power and influence? The foot washing was to convey the truth that those who follow Christ must humbly serve one another. It wasn't about the, the act of the foot washing. It wasn't that deed. It was, it was the fact that Jesus took on the lowest of low and was willing to do what no one else would do. It's about living in such a way that we aren't afraid to take the least appreciated task and to serve others. And the reality is, is that the towel is so much more powerful than the title because one represents a spirit of humility and the other is a spirit of pride. One is consider, uh, concerned with serving others while the other one is concerned with self-fulfillment. But only true fulfillment, true fulfillment and joy come only when you choose to take up the towel and to lay aside the title. And that's exactly what Jesus models to his disciples here. So in your own life, what do you reach for? Do you reach for the title or do you reach for the towel? This is what the church does. This is what the church is called to do. To not reach for the position of prominence and to reach for the position of entitlement, but to reach for the position of that of being a servant. That is what we're called to do even in this season with COVID-19 and we're fearful and, and not sure where to go or what to do or how to go about it, right? There's anxiety and there's anxiousness there. What do we do? We need to choose to leverage our positions, our power, our authority, what we have, our influence for those that don't have the influence that we have. This is what the church is called to do, to leverage what we are entitled to for those who, do, uh, those who don't have what we have. As his followers, how can we do less? And what's so crazy to me is just, I don't have much time. I need to continue moving on because we do want to get into uh, the, the communion today. Um, what's so crazy to me is two, two separate things in this. Is One, Jesus actually washed the feet of, of Judas. Like this is where it gets so challenging for me is because the reality is, is that I don't think I could wash the feet of my enemy. And even more so, there's this verse in 26 that, uh, in 1326, which I, I can't get to today, but there's this verse that when you read it, what, like it looks insignificant at first, but when you understand kind of how the customs were in that time, uh, in fact, let me just read what it says, it's, or just explain what, what it says, is that uh, Jesus basically gives this, uh, this bread spoon to Judas. And uh, when you read verse 26, it doesn't really actually look like it's prominent or anything's actually going on there. But really, this soup, or this bread spoon was actually, you would dip this in the food or the meat or even serve others, and then you would give this to the person that was actually the one that you would honor the one that you would cherish and respect and love. And so Jesus says two things. He not only washes Judas's feet, but he also gives him what is called this morsel, this bread spoon. He actually gives to, Jesus, uh, to, gives to Judas. 
And in that, what he's saying is that maybe he's making a final appeal to Judas to say, are you going to do what you're about to do? And immediately Judas receives this and then Jesus tells him, go do what you were about to do. And he hurries off really for the betrayal of Jesus. And those two things are crazy challenging for me because the reality is, is that I don't think that I would want to wash the feet of, of my enemy. That I don't think that I would want to give him the, the choice or the, the thing that would show honor and cons- care and concern. I wouldn't want to give him that. Yet Christ did. And this morning, kind of, uh, this morning, uh, I say that, but it could be this evening. Uh, when you're watching this, it could be Saturday or it could be Sunday of the weekend. As I'm kind of wrapping up, one of the things that I wanted to do was, I, honestly, I really wanted to have a really big call to action. Like, here's, in response to this, this is what we're going to do. This is what I kind of envisioned weeks ago, that we would have kind of a, a way that you could jump in and get involved and, and go for the things that God has for you. But obviously, with, with the virus that's kind of going around, it's kind of changed a lot of things. In fact, for me, it's really changed, like, what does my job look like? I'm called to outreach, and there's a lot of different ways that I can do that now, but it's all different than what I know. It's changed so quickly, and I'm excited for that change, but I'm still figuring out what that change means. And so I wanted this really big call to action, but, but there were some staff that were concerned. We didn't want to, you know, do something that would encourage you to violate kind of the stay-home order that the governor has given. And so I, I don't have this huge call to action, but what I do have is two practical things that I would like to challenge you with. And you're going to see these things on the screen, or you'll see at least one of them. And then the other one, I'll, I'll explain how you can see that, is that what, what I want to challenge you to do is actually to be an encouragement to those that are around you. And, and there's two ways that I want you to do that. One, I really want you to lean into your neighbors. Seek your neighbors out. See if there's anything that you can do. If you have their number, call them. If not, then maybe ring their doorbell, stand at a distance, and then ask them if there's anything that you can do for them. And, and then what I wanted to do was also give something that maybe families could do. And basically on the screen, oh, actually the screen disappeared behind me. I'm not sure what happened there. But, uh, well, you just got a pretty screensaver. Oh, well. Um, what I want you to do, and you'll see this in the post-production, we'll be able to put this on there, but basically what I think, what I would love for you to do is actually to write an encouraging note or a card to one of our senior saints, either at Ware Presbyterian or Jenner's, uh, Jennersville, uh, Jenner's Pond, or even if you would write an encouraging note to maybe a staff member. It could be a doctor, it could be a nurse, it could be a janitor, it could be an x-ray technician, uh, any of them at the Jennersville Hospital. I think that in this time, you could get your families involved, you can get your kids involved. These are two ways that you can actually reach out in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of not knowing what to do, these are two ways that you can share love and care and concern to those that are around us, specifically Jennersville Hospital. And you'll see this picture put up on the screen. Um, you might even be seeing it now. I would encourage you to take a picture of this with your cell phone. You can also find this on Facebook. Um, we'll be posting this after the services. You can also find this in the description below. If you're watching this online, you'll see a description of what the service is. You'll see a link for this and then also for the other thing that I'm about to announce. So those are two, two ways that I want to challenge you to lean in is to, to write an encouraging note. And then the other thing that I did is that I, I kind of created a document from a couple different resources online. And it's got about 20 different things how you can actually make an impact right now during COVID-19. It includes things like calling people, FaceTiming, or Zooming with people, or Skyping. It includes uh, 20 different examples of things that you can do to, to contact your neighborhood. Um, uh, your, your uh, what are those called? The, the, um, the Neighborhood Housing Association or, or something. Look for ways to give back both maybe time and resources. If you, God has given you resources right now, then use those resources. I know that for many of us, as we're facing this, this huge job market loss, like this is, an un, this is an unprecedented time, and so it can be challenging. But use whatever it is that God has given you that you are entitled to to bring to those who don't necessarily have what you have. And so I want to challenge you to do that. So you can see that graphic again for all of the addresses to where you can send that to, but then also in the link in the description below, there's a link that says, here's where the address is, here's the person or, that you would send that to. We've been in contact with those people, so they are kind of expecting that, so you can send that to them as early as right now. And then also the other thing is to read through this document, which is also included 
in our description of this message, but it's also listed on our clcfamily.com, or excuse me, clcfamily.church slash sign up page. There's a tab there that says ways that you can help during COVID-19. And you can click on that. It's a, a relatively quick read. What I hope that it does is it gives you options and resources for you to actually be able to do something, even from the comfort of your own home, to be able to do something to to a way that you can serve in in the way that Christ modeled. And so those are two of the things that I want to challenge you with today, that I want to challenge you to to be a part of what God is doing, even in the midst of this difficult season and this difficulty. And so that's kind of the the call to action, how how I wanted to apply this message. Again, it's changed over the last few weeks as the season that we're in has changed, and it's, it's looked different. But I want to challenge you to do that. If you need help with any of those things, you can't remember what I've said or you can't find those links, feel free to contact us. We'd be happy to do that. And then one of the things that I just kind of want to do as we wrap up, and and we're going to have the worship team come up and sing a final song in just a moment. But before we do that, I do want to partake of communion. What is incredible is that on this night that Jesus washes his disciples' feet, he also shares with them the the Last Supper. He, He has communion with them where he sets up really this new covenant where he kind of replaces the covenant that was in the Old Testament and establishes this new one and it's really established because of his death on the cross. And because of that, we can be in right relationship. And I think the reality as we go back into the message is that the reason that we're here 2,000 years later is because the disciples, after Christ's resurrection, the disciples got it. They began to leverage everything that they had for the sake of the kingdom of God. And because of that, that early church grew and grew. And then there was persecution, and then it spread and grew and grew and grew to the point that here we are today. Imagine what it would look like if we as believers actually started to live out this model, this example that Christ gives us. Imagine how our world would change if we actually could do this. It's now our turn and our responsibility to leverage all that we have for the sake of the kingdom of God. And on the same night that Jesus did this, again, he, after the foot washing, he shares communion with, with his disciples. And he talked about this new covenant that he was making with all people. And it, now's the time where if you have uh, communion supplies, if you want to grab them real quick, you can go ahead and do that. We're, we're going to partake of that. I'm just going to kind of read some scripture, say a prayer, and then we'll partake of the bread. And then I'll read a little bit more scripture and we'll partake of the juice together. Again, this can be crackers, it can be bread, it can be uh, juice, it can be, it doesn't really matter what it is, but what I would ask is for you to remember what it is that we're contemplating in this moment. In this season, we're thankful and we're appreciative of what God has done for us by his death on the cross. And so communion gives us the ability to, to recall and to just think through that. And so I want to read to you, it's scripture, it's found in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through uh, uh, 26. And this is what it says, it says, and Paul is speaking here, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so if you have the bread, go ahead and, and kind of take that and prepare for that. If you just hold on to it, let me pray and then we'll partake of that. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your body that was broken on the cross. Lord, I thank you so much that your word says that by your stripes we are healed. Lord, I thank you that this wasn't just something that you talked about, but Lord, you modeled even to the point of death on a cross that you didn't come to be served, but to serve others. And Lord, because of that, we have the opportunity to be in right standing with you. So, Lord, I pray that as we do this, we would just remember who you are and what you've done. Please bless this this body as we partake of it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may partake of the bread. Continuing on in 1 Corinthians 11.25, it says, In the same way, also he took the cup, after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
So if you would just hold on to that, that drink and we'll, we'll say a quick prayer and then partake of that. So Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for, for your blood. Lord, as we're at home and trying to figure out the details of how we do this, maybe even running around <laughs> trying to get supplies, Lord, you're not surprised by any of this. Lord, you knew what that first early church looked like and how maybe even breaking bread in homes was what it looked like, that families and, and loved ones would gather in small circles, not in large crowds, but in small circles. And Lord, I, I thank you for that. Specifically, I thank you for your blood that was shed. Lord, that blood enables us to be in right relationship with you, that we can now approach you with confidence because you care for us. So Lord, we thank you for your your body that was broken, for your blood that was shed, and we remember what you've done for us. Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may partake of the, the cup. So, Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this opportunity to simply be here in your presence. Lord, for every single person as they're watching at home, online, wherever they are. Lord, I pray that your spirit would be with them, that they would feel you moving and working. Lord, I thank you for your example that you gave to us, and I pray that we would model exactly what you have done, that we would be there, uh, Lord God, uh, as, as servants, that we would not, with our power, with our in influence, with our entitlement, Lord God, that we would lay that down for the sake of others. Lord, that we would just do what you've called us to do, and that's to be a servant to all. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I would ask that you would join us as we sing in our last song together today.
my prayer for you this week is as we go into this holy week, as we kind of remember what Christ has done for us, you know, as he entered into Jerusalem, as he's going through his week in Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, and, and his crucifixion, my prayer for you is that you would simply be mindful of what Christ has done. In the midst of what I would assume is the chaos of your home and the, the chaos of trying to refigure out how do we do maybe our job at home with our children and with our animals, and it, it probably feels a little bit crazy, my hope and my prayer is that you would be mindful of what Christ has done that this week wouldn't just be a normal week, that it wouldn't just be another surviving week that you get through, but that you would remember what Christ has actually done. And so if we can do anything here at the church, please feel free to contact us by any way that you know how to do that, uh, through our app, through our website, um, through Facebook, through calling us. We would love to, to hear from you guys. If there's anything that we can do for you, please let us know. would challenge you to, to send an encouraging note to either one of the senior saints that are, or senior citizens that are at Ware Presbyterian or Jenner's Pond or at the hospital, Jennersville Hospital. And I would also challenge you to try and read through that, that, those 20 different examples of ways that you can be an influence and be serving others right now in the midst of COVID-19. So thank you for joining us this week. We hope that you are blessed and that God moves in a mighty, mighty way. And we will see you next week for Easter. Thank you, everyone. Have a great week.